the numbers all go to 11. I'm talking about bands that rock. Led Zeppelin. What about Sabbath? ACDC. Motorhead. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. I get up above the ground and raise my head days like this. Think I should be dead. One for Satan, two for me. Let's cheat the devil, it's fun. Welcome to the Nothing Shocking Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerrell. With me in Deadbug Studios is... Coach Nez. Visit us at zpnetwork.com, zoicsonline.com. We're on Facebook at the Nothing Shocking Podcast community fan page and the Quad Cities Rock, Quad Cities Rock and Roll Junkies interest group. Our Twitter handle is NoShockPod. Visit us or listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, hopefully Spotify soon, and Alexa as well. We, we've just signed up for a new... Uh, uh, hosting site that it's going to get us on those platforms and then we're on rock rage radio 2 p.m central time on sundays yeah do we need to announce that the links that were posted on social media now are on libsyn instead of zp network or does that even matter it doesn't matter okay the, 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 <laughs> we're we're at zp network com, and libsyn is what we're hosting with uh but there's a site there and uh when you share that what we post our social media the player goes with it so you can listen mm-hmm. in twitter I don't know if you can do it on Facebook. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you get right to that player. You don't have to go to our site and jack around there. It's right there, Yeah, uh, which I think is very nice. It is very nice. And getting on Alexa and Spotify would be even better. So that's we're working that way. We're also working on a merch store. Uh, we got our sponsors. Yeah. Uh, we have Ragged Records, uh, Davenport, Iowa, in Rock Island, Illinois. I drove, po- drove past the uh, Ragged Records, Davenport, Iowa location and is still completely gutted from the flood. So I, I talked to Bob uh, this past week, uh, Bob uh, Harrington, that is, the owner of Ragged Records, and he has no idea when he's going to be back in the Davenport location. So if you want to go uh, shopping at Ragged Records, you need to go to the Rock Island location, or you, if you can find a store on eBay, he's on eBay as well. Um, we, we also are sponsored by Legends Picks Guitar Picks out of Milan, Illinois, and Rockstar Picks Rocks out of Queens, New York. Thank you to Hong Kong Sleepover for letting us use our music. Our guest this week is Bob Kulik. Yes, producer, songwriter, guitarist, musician extraordinaire. Brother. Brother of Bruce Kulik. <laughs> uh, he's, Bob has performed or worked with Kiss amongst many other acts. I mean, we could go down the list, and we don't have to, because no. most of you that are going to listen to his interview already know all about Bob Kulik. Yeah, fantastic interview. A lot of fun to have on. Uh, news, not a whole lot. I mean, just that it seems like rock music's coming back around. Slipknot's number one. Uh, I think Tool has like 10 spots on the streaming charts. Uh you know, we have all the concerts coming here. Ghost, October 8th. Godsmack Hillstrom, September 22nd. I forgot to tell you. I'm going to go see Sebastian Bach Sebastian in September. Bach in September. Yeah. In what, September 21st or 22nd or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Hillstrom and Godsmack, same night. That's great. They have to put them all. The same. Where, where are you going to <laughs> see them at? I, somewhere over in Iowa. I don't know. I, but not too far Is it away. like, I don't know. Is it Cedar Rapids or something like that? Or oh. I don't I don't know. Somewhere. I, it's at a, Iowa. I think it's at a casino. Dubuque? 
Maybe it's Dubuque. Yeah, I don't Dubuque know. has a lot of good shows up at their casino. Yeah, I think it is. We're going as, with a group of people to go see him. The people that we we're going to go see him with, have, nobody's seen Sebastian Bach live. I've seen him before. So they asked me if I wanted to go, and I said, sure, why not? He's a fun guy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Slayer's coming. We, there's a lot of a lot of stuff happening around us. And if it's happening else, it's happening everywhere else because we get it last. So it's a good time to be a fan of rock music. The reason why rock music is making a comeback is because of our podcast. Yeah, it's all us. It's all on us. You guys can give us all the credit. I will say, this last week, I've probably listened to Slipknot more than I have in my entire life. Like, I've never been a big fan, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I just like everything now. <laughs> it's like, I have all their albums <laughs> bought into my, and I just, uh, it's out of nowhere became just, it clicked for some reason. I've never really, I never got it, and then now it I do. It's really weird. My son is swears by the new album. He's a big gym rat, so he says that's all he listens to while he's at the gym. He just listens to the new album and just hits repeat. And I, I'll be totally honest with you guys. I've never been a huge fan. Never really took a whole lot of interest. But with him talking about it as much as he has, he has, and now you, I might actually give it a bigger chance. Than I've I always liked him. Okay, but never like I just I didn't know the songs that well. But all of a sudden it was just like. And I'm not just a new one. I just all of a sudden all of them. Just I went. I mowed the yard and just kind of. This well, I guess it doesn't take me that long to mow the yard. But uh, it, the size of your yard it probably takes you a long ass time. Took me like three albums. <laughs> but they were all. It was just. But it made me come down here and put it on the Bluetooth and just lay on the sofa and listen to more. And it was just like, I don't know. I'm really. It's just started to click for me. I love the way Corey Taylor's voice screams and sings and goes in between and. All the instruments and the guitar. I don't know. It's just, it's all starting to click for me. And I kind of wish, I feel like I lost a lot of time. Hmm. Do you think Corey Taylor was inspired by LeJean Weatherspoon's um, vocals between screaming and singing? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, he was inspired by a lot. Hmm. I, I mean, from ABBA to Metallica, to, you know, everywhere in between, he was a big fan of all that stuff. I mean, he was in Velvet Revolver briefly. So, I mean, that's true. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I think they're a neat, I think they're a lot better than I realized they were. I mean, actually they're headlining the festival I'm going to in September. So, ah, yeah. or one of the nights, right. Guns N' Roses the other night and Disturbed the third night. Not hmm. good lineup. Yeah. But yeah, let's get to Bob Kulik though. Yeah. I'm tired. Let's do it. And he wants, he wants this interview out there. So let's get it out there for him. All right. Enjoy Bob Kulik. Good night. Hey, Bob. This is Eric Nesbitt with the Nothing Shocking Podcast. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, I want to introduce you to my co-host, Bob Zerrell. Hello. Hey, Bob. How you doing today? Much better today. <laughs> uh, well, hey. Are you all right? Oh, I'm fine. It, was, uh, it wasn't me that cut my thumb off. It was uh, <laughs> an employee of mine. But yeah, everything's good now. <laughs> they stitch it back on? Uh, tell them the story. Tell them it. You got to tell them the story. He, they could have put it back on. They told me he'd have to quit smoking for four weeks, and he told him to just leave it off. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well you, the, you, that, did he the, save it as a souvenir or something? <laughs> he hasn't been back yet, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. You know, the astonishing. Did he have some kind of 
the, the, the astonishing thing was Bob told me that they, they airlifted him to University of Iowa hospitals to reattach it on. And then that's where they told him when they, after they airlifted him to the hospital before they did the surgery, like, all right, you know, you got to quit smoking. And so he told him no, after he's already been airlifted to the hospital, <laughs> have the procedure done. So unbelievable <laughs> for sure they'll be in the inquirer <laughs> look for that in the inquirer <laughs> man says smoking or thumb i'll smoke thanks and keep my thumb okay there it is he definitely didn't play guitar <laughs> <laughs> i guess not uh, well enough on all this silly stuff uh, hey i want to first of all number yeah. want to thank you for the correspondence and uh to get this all set up and once again we do apologize for the Everything no that no worries. Had, yeah. No worries. Oh, well, very good. So, um, I know that you are uh, extremely busy, and you had told me in an email um, that you're going to get a lot busier here soon. What's going on? Well, I just started up on um, another Christmas record. So, everyone that heard the uh, We Wish You a Metal Christmas and a Headbanging New Year will be able to check this out at some point and. I'm going to do the same thing that I did before, rearrange these fun classic songs about Santa and about the snow and about the holiday. Nothing, no religious songs. It's not necessary for what this is. Um, and I'm going to use 50 all-star players and singers, as I did last time, and already have the songs demoed up. And uh, going to be moving forward on that Monday. Wow. That's awesome. That makes the, yeah. la- the last one really helps. So, me I don't know if Christmas. you guys remember the other one. The other one had, uh, for instance, the track uh, Run Rudolph Run, which was Lemmy, May He Rest in Peace, mm-hmm. and Billy Gibbons and Dave Grohl. That was the band on that track. Yeah, no, I, it, it helps make Christmas music bearable for me. So I, <laughs> I really yeah, appreciate exactly. that you're doing it. Exactly. Well, you hear some of these concoctions. You know, these, these are some of my more demented. No, I'm just kidding. It's, just, it's, just, it's the same thing, only totally different songs so uh you know um they'll be able to have both it's a perfect compromise around my house around the house <laughs> i like it i like it yeah. you know the way i look at it is you know um, uh, my parents were jewish and you know technically i'm jewish although you know i'm somebody who believes in god but not necessarily a religious circumstance so if i just find it uh curious that here i am a jewish guy writing and arranging Christmas songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, guess, you know, when you talk about you know getting something like this together, and you're getting an all-star lineup of musicians to create this album, um, how massive of a task is it to pre-plan for all this? I mean, how much how much time did it take for you to get to where you're at coming Monday? Oh well, uh, I try to. Comp- the arrangements one at a time so I don't get confused because Christmas songs have a tendency to, there is a common thread to a lot of them depending on the ones that you're gravitating to if you or your audience look online, there's an excess of 150 Christmas songs and so there's so much to choose from aside from the big huge hits Uh, so really the hardest Part is coming up with the frames, the arrangements, the original pieces that go with the songs. The rest, uh, I open up my uh, phone and all my friends are sitting in there. I just text them, email them, or call them. 
you know, uh, do you want to play on this? And, you know, most of the time it's of course. And, you know, because I have a good relationship with everybody and because I've always made really good records like this, these compilation records, uh, everybody wants to play and sing. So it then becomes uh, a, a uh, you know, a challenge to match up the people so it makes sense. And that's why I referenced the track with Billy Gibbons and Dave Grohl and Lemmy, because all you have to do is close your eyes and you can see that band. What a great band that would have been. Huh? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's um uh kind of switch gears here for um with you. Um, let's talk about SpongeBob SquarePants and Sweet Victory. Can you kind of give us a little bit more of an inside story of the uh, how that all came about for you? Yep. Uh, David Glenn Isley and I, by the way, check out David Glenn Isley's new album that's out now. Uh, my, my favorite singer um, and writer. Uh, we wrote this song back in 1996. It was used in the uh, band Geeks episode of spongebob squarepants and became legendary the song has in excess of 15 million spotify streams wow and the song was up for being played at the super bowl this year which they actually did play the intro and then launched into something else but uh, i i feel that uh, the new versions that we've put out uh, but the um, one with an orchestra and one that was uh, a heavier version, uh, they're already up to 400,000 Spotify streams, the new versions, without any publicity, or without any record company, or without any advertisement, or without anything. Because the song is like We Are the Champions, Queen. It's a timeless song about victory, sweet victory. Mm-hmm. tells the story. Every sports team, every individual person can feel when they come through, when they succeed at what they're trying, whether it's a sports situation or a life situation or a surgery situation or a, I can do this, climb to the top of Mount Everest over all those other people that are climbing over to Mount Everest. Uh, that's what the song is. And so, you know, um, we're planning on doing some more with the song. And uh, it's just been one of those catching um, lightning in a bottle. You know, it's not uh, that often that anybody, no matter who they are, the the Beatles and the Eagles and people who have the capacity for writing a hundred hit songs, um, to write any kind of hit song is a miracle. And so I feel really blessed that Dave and I came up with something that we don't have to solicit. (laughs) The audience knows where it is and they're getting it. In, you know, you mentioned, you know, other hit songs, and I, maybe this is a dickish question, so I apologize if it is, <laughs> but in 2000, you know, this era of music, it's different when you write a hit song today than it used to be. Uh, is it still, you know, I'm not asking how much you're made off the song, but is it still, you know, can you still make a pretty good uh, profit work, you know, with a hit song in this era of the industry? Uh, n- not from Spotify. <laughs> If your if your publishing money uh, was commensurate with humongous sales in the past, or if you had a song that was used in a movie or a commercial, you're going to make tons of money. But as it is set up now, uh, four hundred thousand Spotify streams is not enough to leave your day job. <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, exactly. It, for me, that number is not about the money. Right. Because we know there is no money there. What it is about is to showcase the fact that people don't realize that the song dictates what's going on. And that's why this continues. Every day I look on, uh, I have this, we have this up on DistroKid, one of the, you know, do-it-yourself distributors. I wasn't going to hand this to a record company. It's ridiculous. Dave and I decided that this is the route we were going to go. And they've actually been pretty amazing. They account for you every day. Any, anytime money comes in, there's been a couple of thousand dollars already. It's, it's, it's peanuts, but it's a couple of thousand dollars. So they, they do pay, but you can see every day. So what do we do today? Oh, 1,506 Spotify streams. Got it. Uh, let's see. Apple Music Streams. Apple Music Streams. What did we get today? 894. Oh, that's pretty good. So what I'm saying is, plus whatever sales come in, what I'm saying is that how are people knowing about this? Is Bob Kulik and Dave Isley, are we on the road promoting this? See an ad in Billboard magazine for this? No. There's nothing. There's nothing other than people know this song. And so when they want to feel inspired, they go and listen to the song, which is what the song does. It's an inspiring song. You've heard this, right? Absolutely. Well, of course. And, I mean, and you put it on. So, oh, go ahead. What do you, I mean, what, what can you say? You know, I mean, is that not as good a song as, as there is? Well, it's, you know, we, you, you're right. It, it, re, it correlates to sporting events with teams, motivation, uh, you know, the, everything that all, it's, I guess, all encompassing when, when you, when I, when I hear the song, um, that's why it goes so well with, you know, like you said, with a Super Bowl, an intro to the Super Bowl or what have you, um, you know, with that being said, you know, on the, on the technology side of, of things, um, we, we see now that, you know, downloading has almost become a prehistoric method of, of, of attaining music now. It, it, everything is pretty much streaming. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm more of the, of the old school way of still buying vinyl and letting the needle down on it and listening to music. But that being said, um, you know, how do, how do you... Well, fortunately, there's more, there's more of you than there were. I mean, there are audiophiles who... I have a friend in Los Angeles, and he's got an unbelievable stereo system that... I mean, he's got component pieces. It looks like a, looks like Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory, <laughs> you know. But when you listen to what it sounds like, and when you hear the ear candy and how it's placed and where it's placed on the sonic landscape, it's pretty amazing. But in answer to your question, the whole that part of the business has been totally and absolutely ruined by technology. You know, and people don't. The CDs are going to be non-existent shortly. Vinyls just come back, uh, but yeah, streaming is the way people inexpensively listen to their listen to stuff. I've asked this question to, to many guests before, and and, and may, you know, obviously, I'm a, a person of the minority um, as far as tangibility of product. You say, you know, like you said, CDs are going to be a thing of the past. Vinyl has made a comeback, as and I do see some type of cassette situation being available in as new release but as far as like a, a tangible product given to the populace for people to adapt to like like the like the cd was what's going to be the answer is it just going to is there what will the tangible answer be as far as product goes uh, i think um ultimately let's work our way backwards ultimately there'll be a new medium at some point 
just like we all woke up one day and here was the, you know, your Apple phone and here's your iPad and here's your computer and now you can do your banking online and all of that stuff. Years ago, nobody even thought about something like that. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was possible. I thought that it would have GPS in their car. So I can tell you this for sure. At some point, I don't know, next year, next week, tomorrow, 10 years from now, somebody's going to show us a new way to listen to music. And that's why it's important that all of the great music be saved properly so that it can be listened to in 100 years if the planet's still here, uh, as opposed to, well, somehow the drives didn't work anymore, and so we lost all that stuff. Or, oh, they had a fire over there at the... Uh, you know, the storage facility and uh, they lost all that stuff. You know, um, I think it's very important that the real music be saved because, you know, basically other than that, you know, the whole thing is going down the shitter, basically, you know, people listening on, uh, on earbuds and out of their iPhone to listen to music. That's no way to listen to music. It's not, you know, uh, back in the day, there was no option like that. So we all had to listen in the way that you should listen, you know? Um, and that's, and that's why, you know, the change is not for the better. It's not. Do the whole music business has been dumbed down because it doesn't have to sound great anymore. And because other than the top tier of artists, everybody else is recording in Joe's bedroom. Absolutely. Do you think the top tier artists that, you know, the coming up top tier artists are going to be as, successful as you know you know say kiss or metallica or you know guns and roses or these or is there going to be a kind of a cap on how successful they can be because of this new medium well let's let's look at it name a band in the past name a rock band or a metal band like those bands that has made it in the last 10 years i can't the last one let's, I think let's was take the let's take a <laughs> five finger death punch or somebody like that right are they going to be around in, in 20 years like Kiss? If they are, I don't see them playing stadiums. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, 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 you know, the audience, you know, again, I'm not saying they won't. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying they will. But what I'm saying is the audience decides. And at this point, the audience is extremely fickle. They go from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. Labels that sign artists still make records. And then realize that when they signed the artist, that that music would have worked. But by the time they were ready to put it out, the audience had already moved on. And rather than put something out that's going to be a failure, they just eat it. Because they're not paying the money that they used to back in the old days. So anybody signing a recording contract now, beware. At least have a buyout clause in your contract, whereby if they don't put it out, you could at least buy it back on, for pennies on the dollar. There's a little advice to everybody right there. We uh, just um, <clears throat> finished uh, that we have a we're on the Illinois, Iowa, Mississippi River Valley uh, a border between the two states. And uh, over in Iowa, their uh, county fair um, just had concluded and <clears throat> they do a package deal with uh, consumers with um, they call it the the Mississippi Valley fun card and it, you spend $80 and they have a different show that plays every night country. They had a few rock shows. They had Tesla, they had um, Nickelback and then Brad Paisley. And I, I can't think of everybody that was there. Well, anyway, regardless 
uh, you know, you spend eighty dollars, you get to go see all these shows in these grandstands, and um, the the attendance was off the roof as far as I think Nickelback set the record. How many people were there at that thing for thirty five thousand? Thirty five thousand, yeah. And I believe Brad Paisley had probably was pushing somewhere around right around there. That being said, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on uh, around here. It's so hard at our at our civic center or whatever else for rock bands to come in and in uh, in fill a, a ten thousand dollar I mean ten thousand dollar ten thousand seat facility um, opposed to going to the county fair and spend eighty dollars to go see all these different shows. But here we are, we are offering shows for you know a big band to come in and for eighty dollars for one night. I guess you know where is your thought and theories on why can that damn county fair pulling that those kind of numbers but if we bring in one show they can't even fill us you know a ten thousand seater well you already answered your question because it's a, it's a better bill and it's an outside venue so it's like a party thing and it's like a, more of an event uh, i think that's what it must be and, and and individual acts by themselves you know uh in a place like that you know I, again it's hard for me to say you know maybe people like to to see bands outside under those circumstances rather than going to their local venue. Not sure. Not sure. Let's go. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely not my expertise area. Oh, uh, gotcha. Um, let's kind of switch gears on you. I, I know you wanted to kind of touch upon uh, your, uh, when you uh, performed on uh, Cruise Fest with uh, Ace Freely and Sebastian Bach. Um, is this an annual thing that you'll be doing in years to come, or was this kind of just like a one-time thing for you? Well, uh, I was involved with the event last year. Vinnie Vincent played. I didn't play. I was just one of the guests. Um, but this year, the way they've worked this thing, uh, they're going to have a bunch of bands, and it's going to be uh, at the Hilton in Miami in the, in the convention room. So it's going to be a, you know, a real concert. So um, I'm going to be playing the Monday night, which I guess is the 28th, and Sebastian Bach will be headlining that show. And then the following night uh, is uh, Fraley's Comet, you know, the band that Ace had. And then Ace is going to play as well, um, trying to see if he'll get up and play with me or I'm going to get up and play with him, and which would be a lot of fun. So there's going to be a whole bunch of other stuff going on at this event. Um, the promoter, uh, Joe D'Angelo, uh, uh, he, he's pulling out all the stops to make it as uh, good an event as it could possibly be uh, for the fans. And, uh, I think he's uh, definitely capable of creating something now that's more than just a, a one-night thing. This is a two-day event, so I think it's going to be really special. Fantastic. Um, some of our listeners may, uh, maybe haven't realized that uh, you won a Grammy back in 2004 as your work as a producer. Can you give our listeners and us a little uh, more detail about um, the work that went into the project that you won the Grammy for? Sure. Well, the song that won the Grammy was Motorhead's cover version of the song that Metallica wrote for them to be like them, Whiplash. Mm-hmm. So um, my uh, co-producer and I, Bruce Brier, came up with the idea of Motorhead doing the song that Metallica came up with that sounded the most like Motorhead because that's who they were into. So turning it around and, and having Let Me Do It uh, turned it into a real spectacle. And, you know, I knew it was going to win when I saw you know, all the other bands were newer bands that 
you know, ultimately would go on to win Grammys themselves. But that in 2004, that was definitely the best kick-ass performance to win Best Metal Performance. And uh, it's something I'm really proud of, uh, along with, you know, the rest of what I've done with uh, Motorhead, which, you know, Bruce Brea and I did pretty much all their recordings between 1996 and 2004, including the theme song for Triple H, The Game, including Jumpin' Jack Flash, including God Save the Queen, We Are Motorhead. All of that stuff was produced by us. So, I, I guess, I mean, I'm a big WWE fan, and I remember when that, you know, Triple H switched his music to that. Was that something that they already had in the can, or did they come to you guys and say, we need to, uh, we need a song for him, or how did that all come about? It came about, um, Triple H is a huge fan of Lemmy's. Right. They had the idea for this song, but only a sketch. And Motorhead participated the actual, seriously, minimum that they could have participated. And ultimately, because of their schedule, the one thing that we did get out of that was Lemmy's amazing vocal and Mickey's drums. Also, Phil's lead guitar licks, not the theme, not the rhythm guitars. I played those. And I also played bass because the bass that Lemmy put on there didn't fit at the end of the day. Mm. And we came up with the theme, the two note theme and added that to the pile. And it was instant, knew it immediately. As soon as we finished it, it was a hit just like sweet victory. It hit. It's a huge hit. Well, yeah, I mean, even any, even to this day, when he, I mean, he doesn't come out very much anymore. But when he hit, when that, those chords hit, that crowd goes nuts. <laughs> it's a... Well, it's got the, the instant recognition factor. It was, it was absolutely the theme of themes. Everybody tried to have a theme like that. Mm-hmm. Stupidly, they didn't come to us. No, yeah, they, right. I mean, it's, I mean, it's. No, I'm just being honest. No, I, I'm just it's. Being honest. Nor, nor did WWE come back to us. So they thought, well, we got it. Okay. Did you do the King of Kings one too or not? Nope. Oh, wow. Nope. That Which, piece of shit by comparison. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, they stop using it. It's a piece of shit by comparison. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No offense. Yeah, but it is. You know, compared to the game i'm just saying in and of by itself yeah well no i'm with you i mean if you look at like the game no i agree completely like stone cold steam is very cool because of the crowd reaction and stuff but i would never listen to that by itself no i would put the game on and listen to the song that's a great song but and on top of the the crowd so it works both ways but yeah you're 100 percent right that never really thought about it like that until you just well, said yeah, it, and, and again <laughs> if you just look at you know um uh, he came up with uh, Paul came up with, uh, Triple H came up with the spitting out of the water, which added a specific visual mm-hmm. to a part that they milked like no other part. I played the song twice with Motorhead live at WrestleMania events, Staples Center and Detroit. Oh, you got to play those? So, 
We, yeah, you can go online, you can see them um, behind stage, obviously. The illusion of the power trio needed to be kept. Right. But since, you know, Phil could not handle that by himself, nor did he play the theme on the, on the actual recording, you know, they always took me with them to help out, shall we say. One of my, you know, my, my specialties, ghost guitar for Kiss, <laughs> ghost guitar for Motorhead, you know. I guess that kind of brings up a maybe a, a kind of question that I wasn't expected to ask you. It, um, you know, as you refer to it being as a ghost guitarist for the bands that you have just listed, is it a thing where it's just like, hey, you know, it, it's it's money, it, it doesn't matter, or do you just it, does it ever ever get to be a, a frustration type thing for you? Well, first, first, let me straighten you out. I resent that you said that. It's never about the money for me. Not for me. Mm-hmm. Those bands, maybe. But not for me. I'm an artist. Sure, I have to get paid. Sure, I want to make the most money that I have to make, that I can make, that I deserve to make. But it's got nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with the money. It was, in, the, in Kiss's case, these people were my friends. They're having a problem with our guitar player. What's the problem? Ace is being a pain in the ass. He doesn't want to play. Jeez. So we'd like you to come in and play some solos. I read between the lines. We need you to jerk a knot up this guy's ass, <laughs> which I did by playing on those songs. He was there that day, those days when I came in to play, when Kiss Alive 2, the studio side. So, no, that wasn't about money. It was about helping my friends out. And to that end, you know, they used me to send a message to him that, guess what? You're dispensable. And ultimately, I played for him again, and then they did dispense with him. Well, I was not trying to offend you when I said that. I was more in. in no, the, I know that I'm yeah, just saying it so, yeah. you, so that your listeners understand. Yeah. That, that it, it was not about the money. It was not like, so look, if we give you 10 grand, can you shut your mouth and play on these tracks? It wasn't that at all. At all. But that happened a lot back then, too, though, didn't it? I mean, I've heard stories Well, like... we all knew that, you know, Eric Clapton played, you know, the solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, right. and that it wasn't George Harrison, but it never said it. You know, there was tons of that stuff going on. Jimmy Page played the guitar solo on... You really got you me. really got me. All day and all the night. Jimmy Page! Well, yeah, and I've heard, like, some of those early were Aerosmith records, the solos weren't really Joe Perry or... Dick Black... Wagner! Right. Dick Wagner, my my mentor, Dick Wagner, the guy that wrote Only Women Bleed, the guitar player that played with Alice Cooper and played with Lou Reed. Dick Wagner, look him up. He was, he was a fucking god. My mentor, one of the greatest songwriters, arrangers, producers, guitar players I ever met. I, d- I did want to touch upon the, the ghost part of it. You, know, you said, you know, yes, you're an artist, but did, did the part of being you know, the artist that was doing the ghost guitar work, did that ever kind of ever became like a, a burden or a, a sense of frustration for you? Yes and no. Uh, no at first. Yes later, because that couldn't happen now. Couldn't happen now. Not with social media and everybody taking pictures and all of what it is, it's very hard to keep some kind of secret like that. I'm not sure it's possible. So, you know, um, 
I did what uh, I thought was the right thing at the time. And, you know, to have people clamor to hear me play those solos as has happened, um, like on the cruise when I played a couple of years ago with my brother and played my catalog of those songs, the songs from Paul's solo record and the songs from um, Kiss Alive 2 and Kiss Killers. We actually pulled out Nowhere to Run which is to me one of Paul's best vocals ever, mm-hmm. one of his best songs ever, one of one of my best melodic solos ever, and we, you know, so you know, we did a bunch of those songs and Larger Than Life and all that. People, you know, wow, yep, he's definitely the guy that played this because you know I, I I do the right thing and play the solos note for note because that's what they expect and that's what it is. It's me. I'm just playing me, so it's not that difficult. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think that, that that segment of the audience realizes how special that is, that well, this is the guy that played those solos, and, well, there they are with those songs. You know, obviously, uh, so many Kiss tribute bands, circumstances where people play their songs and stuff like that. You know, this was, shall we say, the, uh, uh, the top of the food chain version. My brother and myself, Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz. Mm-hmm. I just saw those two guys the other day. <laughs> What's that? I just saw Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz the other day with Slash. Uh, yeah, it's the Slash's band, exactly. We we uh, we borrowed them for uh, a, a week. Can we borrow your drummer? And play the That's awesome. Of course, uh, he said no, but we took him anyway. So. <laughs> uh, there's uh, something interesting there, though. I mean, you mentioned, you know, we... Some people knew there, you know, you kind of knew the, you had that mystique back in, you know, the seventies and early eighties and sixties and all that, that, like you said, it could never happen today. You know, the ghost player there, you know, you have your steel Panther and your ghost where they can kind of play characters to an extent, but even then, if you really want to know it's there, uh, as a fan, that accessibility, it's neat, but there's also that mystery that's gone, you know? It sounds like you prefer the that mystery of the mystique, but, you know, as a fan, where do you fall on that, the mystique versus the accessibility? Well, I, I live in Las Vegas, so I've been able to see, due to the accessibility of being able to see all of my old favorite bands, The Who... Rod Stewart, Elton John, all showing up here to play, Journey, all these bands that they're either people that I know or people that I've always been huge fans of. So I I like that the live accessibility uh, for some of these larger bands has been been really good. But as far as what's going on with the the actual industry, um, I can't draw a parallel between a time... Where, you know, so for instance, my guitar player influences. So Eric Clapton, Cream, a huge star even to this day. Jimi Hendrix, who I met back in the day, who, you know, is is the legend of legends. George Harrison from the Beatles, another one who's passed on. But if it wasn't for George Harrison, nobody would be playing electric guitar. Mm -hmm. Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page, two guys that could really dish it out. So... All of those people's bands, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Cream, 
any of those bands. Show me a band like that today. Exactly. They don't exist. Show me two of those bands like that today. Well, we know that doesn't exist. Three? These were all at the same time. These were all within the same time period. And even if you go back slightly, you look at the British invasion and see the Stones and the Yardbirds and the Zombies and just go through the list of how many bands made it. I saw a lot of those bands play. I was very lucky. Got to see the Searchers, got to see uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, a Beatles offshoot. They did Beatles songs. Really good. The Animals with Eric Burden, what an amazing singer. Moody Blues, singing Go Now. I mean, it was, it was just one amazing talent, one amazing song, one amazing performance after another. And now what you have is fucking shit. <laughs> because if it's not done in a hotel and it's not a big production number, it doesn't work at all. Even Kiss and Metallica, without those productions, it wouldn't work the same way, would it? These other bands, they didn't need any productions. The Beatles didn't need any productions. They didn't need a set. They didn't need dancers. They didn't need backup singers. Rolling Stones, they did both. They, they, they did the original band and they toured, and now they have their augmented thing with the show. Right. But they don't need a show like what I'm talking about, like what you see in Vegas, where it's where if it's not like, you know, uh, 40 people on stage or 50 people. It's just like, what's happening? You know, that's what they expect. All the Cirque shows and all of that stuff. But even the the big concert production stuff, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, Rock of Ages, all of that stuff. That's the only way to drag people into to see stuff or to hear rock and roll, rock vault here as well. Uh, when they first started, it was like a show. They actually had sets and actors and people telling stories. The difference between now and then. Now it's got to be spiced up and this, that, and the other thing. And then it was just, well, these four guys are totally killing it. I kind of wanted to switch gears on you just for a minute. And um, so you two albums that you were involved with that I love so dearly. And the one I wanted to touch upon was uh, the Crimson Idol, the Wasp album. Um, I just absolutely love that album. I listen to it frequently throughout the years. Um, I guess when I, when I first heard Crimson Idol, um, I was kind of like under the impression that uh, this was kind of like a new direction. Blackie was taking the band. It was kind of more of a concept feel to it. I maybe kind of felt like after I listened to it the first time, like, wow, there might be like a part two or maybe like a trilogy to this um, plot. Um, can you give us a little bit more information about your involvement with the Crimson Idol? And um, I know he re-released it under Re-Idolized or something like that. I've yet to hear that version of it, but... Um, is there more to it than what I've read online about that album? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, other than uh, Blackie knew that I had played with Kiss and some of these other artists that of the ilk, shall we say, and contacted me, and you know, we talked about the idol first. You know, he was just like, "What do you think of this piece?" You know, I'm just like, "I'd eat this up, totally eat this up." is totally you know me 
So, you know, I showed him a few of the motifs that I was thinking about, and he was just like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, that, that that's going to work. So we had a great time working on that. Um, Blackie's pretty hands-on. Uh, he was running the, uh, at the time, we recorded on uh, uh, an actual analog 24-track. So we actually had to physically punch in, and a lot of his punches were bad. But fortunately, I was able to connect the dots where it needed to be. And after doing the idol, everybody freaking out, mm -hmm. he um, asked me to play on some of the other songs, which I did, Chainsaw Charlie and Hang On To Your Heart and some of that stuff, and then did a few things on the Still Not Black Enough record. So, you know, we, you know, we kind of hit it off in, in a musical way where I, I kind of was able to give him, uh, shall we say, some uh, of the Bob Kulik sophisticated uh, kick-ass hard rock metal licks you know absolutely um was i was i totally wrong when i said that i felt like as though that maybe this was going to be a an ongoing story concept of what you guys did with the crimson idol was there was there any plan to i guess like do a part two or anything else or was that just kind of like the one-off thing not that i was ever aware of i mean it, 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 it seemed obvious but it didn't happen so you know, just like a lot of stuff that seems like, well, there's no reason that shouldn't happen. And then it's like, it didn't happen. So um, one good thing that, that happened for me that I, that was one of the ironic, funny things was that after the album came out and people heard it, you know, I was hanging with Blackie because we were still doing some other stuff together, mm -hmm. as I said. And we went to see Iron Maiden. So we, he got a limo and we went, you know, so we're hanging out backstage. You know, I go in. I had never met the guys before. So I'm just standing there, and all of a sudden, it's just like, boy, it's Bob Kulik. And they're all over me. I'm just like, how do you know me? They're like, you played on Blackie's record. Oh, yeah, I did, actually. You're right. You're... I was just like, you know, there's Bruce Dickens. It's like, wow, you're they were managed by the same people, Smallwood Taylor. So they knew intimately what had gone on. You know, and Blackie obviously had said, you know, I brought Bob in, and he, he killed it. You know, and so when I reached out to those guys later on, for instance, when I was doing that Alice Cooper tribute record and I wanted Bruce Dickinson to sing one of the songs and the management and everybody was just like, there's no way. <laughs> well, guess what? Look on the record. Because Bruce Dickinson, Bruce Dickinson told them what every artist should tell their manager. You work for me. I don't work for you. I do what I want. Period. That is awesome. So he did. Awesome. Blue was playing in the Van Nuys airport came to the studio one block away and sang his ass off and doing the black widow actually did the Vincent price speech, which I thought was very brave. I love Bruce Dickinson as a person. He was always nice to me. Always nice to me as a singer, unbelievable singer. And as an artist, he's really true to what he is. He seems to be a, a jack of many trades and, and a master of all of them as well. I have one more question to ask you before we let you go. I know we've kept you on longer than we I told you we were going to. but um, That's fine. It's been fun. You've asked some interesting questions oh, well, for you. Um, 1991, Skull, No Bones About It. Love that album. Uh, I When I heard it, I thought, wow, this band is going to make a lot of great albums. It, it, if you ask me, what's your favorite song on that album? I would say they're all my favorite songs on that album. It was fun. It was heavy at times. It just—it was just a great album to listen to. It's good to listen to at any time in the morning, at night, whatever. Um, 
will we ever see anything from that band ever again? Or was that just you know, once again a, a one-off thing that we'll just kind of never hear back from again? Well, actually, if you go online, you can purchase uh, Skull 2, which is all the demos, through Cherry Red Records in the UK. So I was able to assemble all of the demos, and they're all on the uh, on this second CD. So, um, and it's called Now More Than Ever. Very good. So I think if you check that out, you'll be able to hear all the other songs that would have been out on the uh, second album or some that were done live and some other stuff that we did. You know, we did a few gigs. We actually did a song called Street Fight, which was written by Mark Farner, which I had recorded with Mark Farner back in the day. Mark Farner, the original singer, guitar player from Grand Funk. And we loved the song, so we just did it. It wasn't on the record or anything like that, but it's on this collection. We get to hear a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, Before I let you go, just one more question about uh, no bones about it. Um, that album, like I said, it was it, it's such a fun album to listen to. I enjoy it so much. The process was when you recorded that album. How much of an undertaking was it? Did it take? What was the length of time? Can you get a little bit more about it at all? Yeah. Well, this you know you know this was the ill-fated project for me. Uh, you know, started out with um, the three songs that you. Here on on this record, King of the Night, uh, Like My Music Loud, mm-hmm. and The Guitar Commandos. Those were the Chuck Berge songs. And then we recorded with Bobby Rock, the other stuff. And it was kind of years apart, just because of the nature of the business and figuring out what songs and getting the deals together and all of that. So... You know, it, it took a lot longer than it should have. And, you know, the record company we were on, Enigma, they folded right before the record came out. And so we wound up having to go to other labels. And it was kind of a mess. And that's why, that's not why it didn't work, but it's part of the reason for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I was hoping you were going to tell On a business me. level, it was, uh, you know, but at least the, those other songs are available. Oh, I was hoping you were going to tell me that sometimes we have artists on, like, I think we're going to revisit that in a few years. I was hoping that was that was what you were going to tell no, me. No, going to be revisited, however, is Graham Bonnet, myself, and Jimmy Waldo. So Alcatraz featuring Graham Bonnet and Bob Kulik is coming up next year. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. Well, uh, uh, I actually wrote a song with Jimmy and Graham for the new record, and we're planning some shows now. Oh, fantastic! Well, yeah, that would be a great one. You know, I was going to great singer. I got up and played with him here in Vegas when the band was in town. He and yeah. Graham was a pleasure. We had a great time. He's singing better than he ever sang. He sounded awesome. I got to be honest. He's I, an incredible singer. Name ten singers that can sing. Name five singers that could sing like that. I don't know if Seriously. I could. I, yeah, I don't think I could give you two. So, <laughs> yeah, Brian Johnson, somebody like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're talking about. Somebody's got that rasp in his voice, that is totally distinctive rasp. Graham Bonnet, you know, Since You've Been Gone, All Night Long, those songs, Desert Song, Alcatraz, some of that stuff, doesn't get much better than that. It does not. So it's going to be fun to work with somebody who can really dish it out. I'm used to having great singers. Look at my career. When I've gotten up on stage to play with people, Patti LaBelle, Diana Ross, Paul Stanley, 
Meatloaf. I mean, that's a pretty impressive list of singers. Michael Bolton. These are the people that I work with. A singers. A plus singers. Well, I was going to ask you before we let you go, um, since we've only just kind of touched upon your your work with... You have to do volume two. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Maybe um, maybe sometime later this fall or this winter, can I get a hold of you again so we can maybe touch upon some other stuff that you've worked on? Yeah, maybe even right before the event, just to give some more press to it would be cool. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. The Miami event, yeah, before right before the uh, the end of October. End of October. There's plenty more to talk about, but yep. then I'll be able to tell you some of the details on the record and all of that. Okay, well, that sounds fantastic. Well, um, before we let you go, is there anything else that you would like to plug or promote? Um, I'm thinking of doing an interactive producers workshop uh, out of the Palms Hotel here in Las Vegas, uh, where uh, people would be able to come to the studio a world-class studio, stay at the Palms, a world-class hotel, and be able to have a uh, interactive experience with me and a guest artist. And so I'm in the planning stage for this, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll be able to bring in a lot of the recordings. So for instance, you know, you talk about some of the Motorhead stuff or Kiss stuff, you know, part of my catalog are those, some of those recordings, I'd be able to bring them in and showcase them. This way people will be able to hear and hear stories or hear stuff soloed up and, and or record, uh, that's another possibility we're working on. So it's still coming together, but uh, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, this is how this is going to work out. We have a couple of uh, episodes that are ahead of yours, and then we'll probably release yours within two or three weeks. And then that time... Let me know. Just send it to me or whatever you need to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you... need a photo or anything? Um, yeah, if you want to send us a photo, that would be fantastic. We could attach it on. Send me the uh, yes. Um, you can just e- email it. Yeah, you can just email it to us, or I can just send you a reminder for an e- uh, okay reminder or what have you. Okay. No, I'll just email it to you. That's fine. Okay, I can email it to you. All right. Well, then uh, look. All right, so just let me know when you need it, and um, this way I'll know when you're going to run this as well. What do you need it now? Um, the the sooner the better. You get it to us. Bob can have it, and that way. Uh, when okay, it's... yeah, I'll send, it. I'll send it right away. Okay, all right, and then I'll be all in right. touch with you with the edited uh, episode in about two to three weeks. How about that? Sounds like a plan. Eric and Bob, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good night. All righty, we'll speak again. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.